Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on an overcast day in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Steve Bennett. Steve is the CEO and founder of Gemporia Limited, the Genuine Gemstone Company, an employee-owned jeweller specialising in genuine gemstone jewellery based in Worcestershire. Steve, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. No, my pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure having you on. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, as I say, is to gather a series of perspectives on the topic of leadership. And leadership is really being um, put to the test at the moment, isn't it, with the whole COVID-19 situation and business leaders having to navigate their way through that. So tell me, Steve, for somebody who owns not just, of course, Gemporia, but also a number of businesses, how has it been for you in trying to navigate the last few weeks? Because I can imagine the challenges have been tremendous. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uncharted territory that we're in, and uh, uh, we're really lucky. I mean, uh, I, I, I have to point out, I don't own Gemfor anymore. I own a quarter of it, and we were quite lucky that about two years ago, we transferred three quarters of the ownership to the entire team. So whether that be some of our call center, our warehouse, a TV presenter, they actually own the business. And I, and I think that we would have struggled a lot more uh, you know, during this period uh, if it wasn't sort of an employee-owned company, uh, because you know everybody's approaching this in a slightly different way as they kind of own the business. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, challenging. Uh, on one side of the coin, uh, our core business, Gempor, uh, is TV shopping, so there are probably more people watching than ever. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know we're restricted, very heavily restricted of what goods we can get in. Uh, most of our jewelry is made in our own facilities out in India. Uh, India's obviously in lockdown. So, um, yeah, we've had to change our product mix. Um, uh, customers have had to wait a little bit longer on the phone as we've quickly moved from an in-house call center to uh, developing technology literally in three or four days so that call center could work from home, or most of the call center working from home, to a warehouse that uh, normally would operate for 12 hours a day, six days a week, moving it to 24-7 so that, uh, you know, there isn't a lot of people all in at the same time. So loads of challenges, but as with all things in business, you know, you, you try and have a team of people that, that, that rise to challenges. And uh, if your team will rise to a challenge, then you can get through these things. And then other businesses that I own, well, yeah, totally different things. You know, restaurant, hotel, uh, oh, obviously completely closed down. <laughs> I can imagine there've been some serious challenges on the hospitality side of things uh, for sure. Um, but one of the things that you highlighted there, Steve, that's so, so important is um, that um, importance of a leader to uh, rely on the people around them as well, because leaders have limitations. They can't do everything on their own. Delegating responsibility is so important. And having people that uh, you can trust to really sort of muck in and do their job is so important at this time. And we've heard some great stories from numerous businesses during this period as well, haven't we, of people who, whether they've had to work remotely or work um, on site um, still, they've gone in, they've been doing their jobs without complaint and just getting on with it. Yeah, you know, I I mean... I've always tried to build my company as one of our core, we have six core beliefs, and one of them is keep things simple. Um, and more than ever, that principle has come into play uh, you know, in, in the changes of uh, you know, changing the way the call center works, changing the way we purchase goods, changing 
the warehouse and, and, and the team, you know, at the beginning of everything is like, how do we simplify this? Yes, it would be ideal to do this, 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 and this to get people working from home. But where can we cut corners a little bit? You know, where can we change things? The, the normal, you know, if I'd have said a year ago, we're going to change the call center and make it work from, not make, but ask them to work from home, we'd have had six months of testing. <laughs> mm. Whereas in the end, we had no testing. We pressed the button, we prayed, and it worked. <laughs> so, you know, it, one of the core things as a leader you can do, and, it, and it's different for every business. So, you know, I started my own company uh, almost 30 years ago. In, in the early days, you can't delegate. You have to do everything yourself. Mm. You have to learn how to do your own VAT return, and you need to do everything. And But then as, as you grow, one of the most challenging things for any leader, certainly if they've started from scratch, is that letting go and that trusting others to do the job that you want did yourself. Uh, and then the real part is developing the team so they're better at all the things that you used to do. And uh, nothing gives me more pleasure. I mean, for, for many years, I was... Uh, the number one salesman on television, and I, I took pride in that. And then I realized one day, actually, I need my team to be better than me. Mm. And now I love it. If I, if I can't get in the top 10 of, of, of salespeople on TV, I love it. It's uh, fantastic, isn't it, being able to um, see people uh, develop, especially under uh, your leadership, because I think um, inspiring is uh, hugely important as a leader, isn't it? Making sure that people can develop under you and you can get the best out of them. But also, in a way, um, surrounding yourself with people who will also get the best out of you as a leader is also quite important. Yeah, you've got to have a team that, that will challenge you. Um, and, and, and certainly Jen Poor has taught me a lot since we transferred the ownership from my family to the team mm. in the sense that um, you know, I, I've had to listen more anyway because I don't sort of own it anymore. So I'm still the chairman, and I, I, and I still, you know, work with the board, and we have a, 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 a trust uh, that manages the, the three quarters of the ownership. But I've had to listen more, uh, and in some ways, that's helped me with my sort of management style and leadership style because uh, I've had to do it. And it, when you manage to do that, and it's so 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 difficult for people to start their own business. So you have to change. It's a totally different thing being a leader than a manager. You don't manage yeah. it anymore. You lead it. And uh, and then what you need is a great board of directors to actually do you know the day-to-day management. Exactly right. Um, it's so, so important, um, as we've said already, to surround yourself with positive individuals who share that uh, collective vision. It's uh, massive. And at this time um, as well, um, with COVID-19, we're seeing a huge learning curve, aren't we? Because we often hear it said that times of crisis do bring out the best in people. And having that shared leadership as well is really um, sort of coming to fruition, isn't it? And helping the business uh, drive forward, even throughout the uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the problems with corporates, you know, you get as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, you do get to a situation where things take longer to develop, that people resist change. Um, you know, you hear that phrase, which I hate, which is that's the way we've always done it. Uh, and yet when you have a challenge like this, you've almost got to rip up the rule book and say, right, you know, how do we get through this period? How do we do it? What do we change? How do we change it? Uh, and as long as you've built the right footings for your business and as long as people approach it in the right way then they will accept the challenge whereas of course it would be very easy to go the opposite way and everything just fall apart exactly right a strong foundations are hugely important because what you don't want at a time like this is to have to essentially tear rome down and then rebuild it in a day um but also um it's important to be able to adapt and to innovate and the 
it's been a real challenge for businesses at this time especially to just kind of strike that balance between be able to be reactive and adapt to change and innovators changing guidelines and changing circumstances come in but also to kind of plan for the future as well and have a long-term vision especially with all the uncertainty yeah and again what happens far too often in business is that you know we've got out of that habit of long-term planning uh and in a situation like this i think people can you know reevaluate their business and because you'll see what the real underlying strengths are you know every business has strengths every business has weaknesses uh, and, and when times are difficult like this you, you start to see sort of uh, uh, sort of managers are coming to the front you know and, and it's just been absolutely amazing and I would say on you know the vast majority of people in the team have stepped up a gear um, you know really have stepped up a gear uh, and uh, you know hats off to everybody within the organization yeah they deserve um, the utmost credit for the the work that they've put in because um, as we said I mean it has brought out the best in a great deal of people um, at this um, time of crisis and how it's thrust them out of their comfort zone but that in itself um, is an important part of one's development um, as an employee or even as a leader isn't it I think you learn more from times of difficulty and being stretched and being challenged than you do when things go well. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I've got seven children, uh, five of them at home at the moment, uh, one too young to get involved uh, in any sort of business, but four, uh, 12 year old, 14, 16, and 18. So, what, you know, as soon as we realized we were going to get locked down, we built a TV studio in our basement and we said, right, what program could we put out from home every day to get you all to learn how to produce a show, prepare a show, put a show together? Uh, and we started something about a month ago called the Food Bank Show. And every day for the last, I think we're on episode 34 now, um, every day my children are producing a live TV show on YouTube uh, called the Food Bank Show, uh, raising money for the food banks across the UK, mm. uh, interviewing doctors, uh, journalists, uh, nutritionalists, uh, all in a way, you know, it was there to raise money for the food banks and to try and help the country get healthy, but also for my own family to say, well, you, you know, it's a challenging time, but let's try and use it wisely uh, and, and let's learn new skills because uh, with the kids, just the same as at work, you know, this is a time for learning new skills because there are people within the organization, from managers, board directors, TV presenters that can't come in at the moment because they're on, on the risk list. So we've got people doing jobs that they would have never dreamt of doing. Mm. It's a really interesting point that you make there um, about skills there, Steve, because skills are really important. I mean, you can pick those up throughout your career. You can develop those and you can learn those, um, especially on your road to becoming an aspiring leader within a business, for sure. Um, but are there some things perhaps that can't be taught that people do need when they begin their journey um, as an employee or even as a leader, such as self-motivation and self-drive that you can't necessarily teach? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, and quite rightly so, you've got no qualifications, uh, and that's why you uh, interview in a certain style. But it, it may be that, it may not be. But um, you know, we, I've taught all the people in my company, first of all, I've got to enjoy coming to work. If I don't enjoy coming to work, then I won't come. So how do you make it enjoyable? Well, you employ people for their attitude first. So um, you know, we don't ask what degree they've got. We don't even ask for their qualifications. Don't to see them. It's, are they great people? <laughs> mm. You know, it's attitude is everything. Because we can teach knowledge. You can always teach knowledge. It would obviously be different if we were lawyers or bankers or doctors. But in, in our business, we can teach knowledge. Give me somebody with the right attitude, somebody that wants to learn, somebody that wants to personal develop, 
uh, and then I've got somebody that I can work with, you know, for the entirety of my life. So uh, all our companies are, are founded on, you know, that same belief of, you know, it's attitude first. And the attitude, we always say when somebody walks in for an interview, if that person moves into the house next door to you, would you want to go around for a coffee and spend time with them? And, and, and that's the first thing we tick off, <laughs> you know, when we do the interviews. Uh, and, and I think that's come second. Culture, isn't it? it? Has to come first. It's it's so so important. And those that have instilled a very positive culture on their businesses, kept things simple, kept a close knit team, they'll be seeing the benefits now, won't they? In the current situation, because it will be their employees that are mucking in and really doing their best. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. Now, interestingly, Steve, if we look retrospectively uh, just for a moment, um, of course, in Gemporia's case, it's a hugely successful uh, business, um, having been um, in the Sunday Times Fast Track 100 list uh, back in 2012. Um, but if you were to go back sort of 15, maybe 20 years um, and could speak to the younger version of yourself, for example, and would you maybe tell yourself to do anything differently or give yourself um, a little bit of different advice? I, oh, it's a hard one, isn't that? Um yeah, I, I held on to management, day-to-day management, for far too long. Uh, and, and I say, you know, in terms of leadership, I, for me, what I, I believe, it's not called top and tail. So a great leader should be able to get in at the detail at the bottom. So go and pack the boxes once, you know, in three or four months in the warehouse to find little things that we could improve. Or go and spend a day on the phone answering calls to customers. Or, you know, touch, I should be able to touch every bit of the business, that's the, the tail, that's the detail, and then leave everything in the middle all the way up to then that leadership role. Because if you get into the detail of the management, day-to-day management for too long, and I was stuck in that for about 20-odd years, um, I, I just should have done that sooner. Uh, and I should have known it because uh, Richard Branson's a good friend of mine. We do loads of adventures together two or three times a year. Mm. And, he, you know, from the amount of times he said to me, you're just not letting go soon enough. Um, and, and you do need to be able to let your managers manage the business so that then you can look at things like direction. So you can look at, you know, you know if you look, if you look at, go back 100 years ago, the top 10 companies were around 100 years ago. There's only one or two still going. So, you know, the only way to, being, to build the longevity is for the leader to be able to step back and, and really look at that long-term vision about, you know, how that, that ship changes direction. I think that's very sound advice um, indeed. And um, also, it's very interesting that you mentioned Richard Branson there as well, because he's a huge inspiration in the business world to a great many uh, people, including CEOs, directors alike. Um, has Richard been an inspiration to you um, working with him, Steve, um, or are there other people um, in the, uh, the business realm or elsewhere that have inspired you throughout your career? Uh, and the thing I say about Richard um, is that normally, oh, God, I'm upset with my celeb friends now, but normally when you meet a celeb, um, you just realise they're normal human beings that are just yeah, very good at what they do. Uh, but Richard is, is, is the only one I've ever met that he is way beyond your expectations of him. I mean, the guy is phenomenal. Uh, he, and I know it's getting a bit of bad press at the moment, but at the end of the day, that guy is phenomenal. The work he does with the B team, the work he does with the elders, you know, he does put charity first and, and, and business second. And uh, and he's absolutely brilliant at building teams and teams of people around him that have his ethos and his culture. You know, you can go on a Virgin airline and you know you're going to get friendly service. You just know you're going to get friendly service. And I hate to say it, you can jump on BA and, and, and that's not you know the, the same scenario. So 
Um, the guy is phenomenal. And then you said anybody else, uh, Charles Dunstan, who mm. you know, created Carphone Warehouse, another brilliant, brilliant leader. Uh, and slightly different skill set to Richard. Uh, you know, if I said there was one word about Charles Dunstan, his clarity of vision has, has got him to where he is. And he's a really nice guy as well. But his clarity of vision, uh, Richard's, I would say, is yeah, if you said what the one thing with Richard, that that whole thing about delegation, you know, being brilliant at finding the right people, motivating them, treating them like human beings. And Richard told me something once. He said, he said, I always get fed up and annoyed when I see people telling staff off. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you should never have to tell anybody off. He said, people know when they've got things wrong. <laughs> he said, all you've got to do is praise, praise, praise. You know, and, and if you ever do have to chastise, you know, chastise in private, praise in public. Um, but yeah, he he is. He is where he is. Not well, we all have a bit of luck. I thought we had more luck than anybody, but um, he's got there through just being very, very good. Uh, obviously, visionary as well, but very good at getting the best out of people, and because they want to give back to him. Because mm. you know, he's just that sort of leader. That's fantastic to hear, and it's a great example of a, a brilliant leader out there. And it's humility, isn't it? And above all things, that really helps leaders get the best out of people. Yeah. Um, but also, and if, and if, I, if, I, if I just one more there, about actually, there is another one. Actually, that's that's a bit unfair. Well, uh, so uh, last year we were riding uh, doing a massive bike ride challenge uh, uh, in Italy, and uh, I got a flat tire at the bottom of this hill, and uh, it was the last hill before lunch. And I got to the top and they saw me walking my bike up. And I went, well, you must have walked it up. That's way too steep to cycle. And Richard laughed at me and took the mick out. And he said, no, no, we cycled all the way up. And I didn't believe him. And that afternoon, we went up a, a, another hill, about just as steep. And I, so I got right behind Richard on the bike. And you've got to remember the guys were the last year, what, 66? Mm. I'm 52 last year. Uh, so I get right behind him. I think I'm super, super fit. And I get behind him, we get up this hill, we get steeper and steeper and steeper, and we get slower and slower and slower. And I thought, when he gets off, I'm going to cycle past him. Well, it was the other way around. <laughs> I couldn't keep up with it. Oh, I had to get off and walk. He got so steep. And he, he got, he just, I mean, literally, I walked past him, but he was still grinding it out and grinding it out. And I think, you know, that's another attribute of Richard, his ability to just keep going. And I think that persistence, that perseverance is so, so important um, for any leader. And it was interesting as well that you mentioned, of course, yes, you may be getting a little bit of bad press at the moment. But as a leader, I think also you are there in the firing line for criticism in any sort of walk of life, aren't you? And that's also something that leaders have to weigh up and have to manage. And when they do make mistakes, because inevitably that will happen, um, especially within business, it's just important not to shy away from that and to learn from it, isn't it? Yeah, I I think... You know, the, the reason Richard can always bounce back is he knows his intentions are good. So as long as you know your intentions are good. You know, it's one, one of the things that I've talked about how we interview, we interview the personality, but I've got this real simple view on stuff. I said, look, because you know, we have great people that work for us, that means they could go and work anywhere. Um, and, you know, we pay sort of middle of the road salaries, but we're not over the top, but we're also not sort of at the bottom. So I say, look, these people could go and work anywhere. So your job as a manager is to make sure they're as happy as possible. Mm. Because if you make people happy to come to work, then you've done a service to mankind because you know, being happy is something we, you know, we all strive for. So, um, so as long as you know when that bad press happens, that your, your intentions are good, you're in the right sort of business that are there to try and help people uh, and your employees are happy and your customers are happy, then you know, if they want to give you a bit of bad press, you know, albeit 
just deal with it. <laughs> mm, I think that's absolutely right, Steve. Now, um, if we think about the uh, the future for a moment before we do uh, wrap things up on today's programme, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself for Gemporian, for the other businesses, and what you really hope to achieve in that time, particularly in navigating the current situation and then emerging from the other side of the pandemic too? Okay, so, uh, I mean, it gets me to go to work every day at the moment. I'm trying to get the country healthy. Uh, we've got this situation where, obviously, Corona uh, and COVID-19 is an awful event, but it's only really, if this had happened 50 years ago, it wouldn't have been severe. It's only awful because we are, as a nation, not very healthy. We've got this thing called metabolic syndrome where uh, cancer, stroke, diabetes, fatty liver disease, Alzheimer's are all related in a great shape and form to the food that we're eating. Um, so I'm trying to get the country healthy. Uh, I've, got this, <laughs> I've just sent a letter to Matt Hancock and said, look, i tell you what, uh, when this is all over, don't close down these Nightingale hospitals. Give me two or three of them. Uh, and I'll, I'll put some money up and let's go and get three or 4,000 people that are diabetic and see if we can reverse it. Mm. Um, because we're finding that we can, you know, the, the big problem with COVID isn't so much COVID itself. It's the underlying metabolic conditions that we've got that are making it far, far more severe. Um, so uh, that's, that's going to be my goal. If you see Nightingale hospitals treating uh, people uh, uh, with metabolic syndrome and in particular diabetes type 2, then, then that will be my project. Um, um, but let's see whether he lets me do that. Um, so for me, really, I want to get the country healthy. Uh, to fund that, I've got a, a business called Primal Living, which mm. is a, a supplement business. Uh, that, that, that's the one that gets me up uh, at the morning. I'm still obviously the chairman at, at Gemporia. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a brilliant, brilliant team there. So Gempo is like over a thousand people across the UK and India. Uh, Primal Living is less than twenty. So that one I'm managing at the moment, mm. and uh, yeah, I don't know whether I'm managing it well, but I'm managing it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And um, let's hope that it really can be a conduit for that vision as well, because it is quite remarkable to uh, to hear that and hopefully see some real light at the end of the tunnel once um, we do start seeing the fog lift um, in this um, whole situation. Um, I've really oh, got yeah, to say... I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that there are multiple silver lines at the back end. Mm. Multiple silver lines. You know. So from our own company point of view, having so many people now working from home, We don't yet know whether that's going to be as efficient. It might be more efficient, but we certainly know that it's putting out less emissions because less people travel to work. Uh, And uh, for some people that maybe travel further, well, what can they do with that extra time? Maybe they're doing more exercise. So we're absolutely hoping that, you know, it's, it's as efficient, if not more efficient for people to work from home. And then we'll encourage that. We don't know yet whether that would be somebody does, you know, every day of the week from home because then you don't get the social interaction. So it might be that um, some work from home some days and comes to work the office the other day. And different people, we don't want to force it on people because some people are extroverts or introverts. So some people will just want to work from uh, work and some will want to work from home. We hope uh, that this proves to be something that is better for you know the planet and, and better mm-hmm. for uh, for the team, we also think that communities are getting stronger. We're certainly seeing that uh, you know, around the town where I live. So, communities uh, saving the planet, uh, different ways to work, and of course, with all the fast food restaurants currently shut, people are having to change their eating habits. And maybe, just maybe, you might be getting healthier anyway. 
Let's certainly hope so uh, for certain. Um, I have to say, Steve, I could talk to you all day, but we are just about out of time on today's programme. But what I think would be absolutely amazing is, um, for the listeners especially, is if we could maybe have you back on the air in a few months' time with us to look at what we've said retrospectively and just see how things are developing um, in terms of that and how the businesses um, as well are doing. But I've got to say, it's been really enjoyable and also an absolute pleasure having you on today's programme. And thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. Uh, very, very kind of you to say those words. Um, it, it's been my pleasure. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, let's all get through this together. Absolutely right. Do take care, do stay safe and do save lives. That's absolutely right. Um, that was uh, Steve Bennett, um, the CEO of Gemporia. Um, coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, a former professional footballer who scored over 200 league goals in his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Jeff is the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in a World Cup final after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, of that calibre, can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. 
Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it would be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. 
Um, I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark. Mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg and I think what you've said there uh, Jeff actually does sum that up really well and more than that whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I, 
did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe 
uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there any really that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. 
and there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word word is team. The word is is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Uh, Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation and I think that's you're completely focused you're always thinking about uh, things thinking about improvements and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful Excellent well Jeff on that point thank you very much for joining us today you're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.